Welcome to Madang. Today's wonderful guest is Dr. Mitri Raham, president of Dar al-Kalima University, speaker and public theologian. Today he shares his newest book, The Politics of Persecution, Middle Eastern Christians in an Age of Empire. In this episode, he talks about Ottoman, British, and French empires, West Asia, persecution, resilience, white Jesus, and so much more. Please stay tuned. Please join over 3,000 people on Homebrewed Christianity's online class, Christianity in Process. This is an online pop-up learning community with Dr. John Cobb and Dr. Trip Fuller. Make sure you read their books too. You can win a chance to get Cobb's complete works, which is valued at 1250 Please follow Homebrew Christianity as Dr. Fuller has other amazing weekly podcasts. Join him as he celebrates 14 amazing years of podcasting and has become the most listened to theological podcast in the world. Anna Luisa crafts high-quality jewelry pieces at very affordable prices. They're carbon neutral from packaging to products. I really love this about Anna Luisa. A-N-A-L-U-I-S-A. Their designs are unique and will make you feel empowered, elegant, and at your finest. They have fair prices with jewelry starting at $39 and new jewelry collections are released every Friday. Go to shop.analuisa.com forward slash madang make mom's day and treat her to new jewelry pieces with Anna Luisa's buy one get one 40% off sale one piece for her and one piece for you free shipping and returns in the U.S. I know you'll love them the Rainbow Push Coalition is an international human and civil rights organization founded by Reverend Jesse Lewis Jackson, Sr. Rainbow Push Coalition seeks to empower people through the effective use of grassroots advocacy, issue orientation, and connections between the greater community and the disenfranchised. Please join Rainbow Push and please donate. And please join the seventh annual Push Tech, which is happening on May 18 to 19, 2022. Please go to www.rainbowpush.org and please join today. For sponsorship inquiries, please email madangpodcast.gmail.com. This is Madang, an outdoor living room for guests to share their experiences and their work. I invite you to come in and stay for a while. Welcome to Madang. Today I have a very special guest, Dr. Mitri Rehab, who is the founder and president of Dar al-Kalima University in Bethlehem, Palestine, the most widely published Palestinian theologian to date. Rehab is the author of more than 40 books. He is widely sought after speaker all over the world. It is such a pleasure and honor to have you on Madang podcast today to talk about your latest book, the Politics of Persecution, Middle Eastern Christians in an Age of Empire. There have been lots of great praise about your new book. Um, Craig Barnes, the president of Princeton Theological Seminary writes, 
Dr. Michu Rehab is a pastor, university president, community developer, author, and as this volume demonstrates, he is also a compelling scholar. The book provides a historical analysis of the Palestinian church in response to the re relentless political and ecclesiastical agendas in the Middle East. Philip Jenkins, the distinguished professor of history at Baylor University writes, the politics of persecution offers a trove of information and analysis for any Christians fascinated by the Holy Land and its neighbors. But beyond this, it will be, great, it will be of great interest to general readers of all kinds, basically for anyone interested in the emergence of the modern Middle East. So thank you so much, Mitri, for coming on Madang podcast. I know you are so busy. So thank you for making this time to come on today. Uh, thank you, Grace, and good to be with you. It's my pleasure. Oh, thank you so much. The honor is all mine. I wanted to tell everyone that we met together. I met you for the first time in Korea. We were both invited to be speakers at the uh, um, Council of World Mission, and it was held at on Jeju Island. And I must say, when you spoke, you stirred me so much. You were one of the best speakers I've ever heard in my life. So it's a great honor today to have you on my podcast, Madame. Uh, thank you. Thank you, Grace. Uh, you know, for me, uh, uh, I look up to you and to all the work you are doing. It's really good. <laughs> Oh, you, you are too kind. You're the one who's doing so much great work. So we met there and we've met each other at AAR many times. And, um, you know, you and I both live in Bethlehem. So I'm in Bethlehem, Pennsylvania, and I feel like you're my twin and you live all the way across the world in the real Bethlehem. The real Bethlehem. Yeah, the real Bethlehem. So I've always wanted to go and I've lost many opportunities and I hope you will hold your conference while I will finally get to go, you know, to Bethlehem and see you there. Uh, you know, it's my dream as a theologian to be in Bethlehem. So let's pray that that will happen. I hope it will happen next year. Okay, so let's, let's cross our fingers. So before <laughs> we get into your fabulous and important work, what have you been doing lately? I know you've been traveling and so forth. So can you just share with our listeners what you have been doing lately? Uh, actually, I just came back uh, from the U.S. Uh, two days ago um, after spending there uh, three weeks. Oh, wow. Uh, I toured uh, 10 states. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> uh, within these three weeks from the East Coast to the West Coast, um, uh, advocating uh, for the liberation of Palestine, introducing my new book, uh, but also... Um, we have a support organization also in the States called Bright Stars of Bethlehem. And we had our board uh, meeting uh, in Atlanta. Uh, so yeah, it has been very busy uh, days. And uh, actually I'm leaving again after tomorrow. Oh. Uh, and uh, yeah, so, you know, after being for two years, uh, like lockdown, uh -huh. uh, it seems like now everyone wants to, to do their board meetings and their conferences. And so this year is going to be really crazy. Oh, wow. That's amazing because you are traveling so much. 
you are the president of the school and you have written over 40 books. I don't know how you do it. You are like a, a role model for so many of us. So thank you because all your work is so important. Do you have a copy of the book that you can hold up so people can see it? The Politics of Persecution. Yes, this is my, yeah. my latest book. It uh, is so amazing. Yeah, I hope everyone will get it. It's published by Baylor Press. Is it Baylor University Press? Right. And yes, yeah, such an important book because when you uh, spoke in Korea, I felt like so much of that material is so important. And I felt some of it actually came into your book here in the politics of persecution. So can you share, share with us today what led you to write this very, very important book? Yeah. Uh, you know, uh, the 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 topic of persecution mm -hmm. uh, of Christians in the Middle East um, became like widely spread. Uh, I would say uh, since uh, the mid '90s, so in the last like 25 years, um, and I was I started asking myself why, and you know the perception is that the Christians in the Arab world are persecuted by Muslims. That's the perception. And what I'm saying is that this perception actually says more about the West than about the Christians in the region. This is the first thesis, basically, that I talk about. The second thesis is that, you know, the West uh, that pretend to care for the Christians in the region was most of the time actually the force that led to the uh, abandon, uh, abandoned uh, uh, the Christians here. And, and I show so many cases where this is really um, the case. And the third thesis is that uh, uh, this idea uh, actually became uh, 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 more important under the Trump administration, and I explain why. Mm -hmm. Thank you so much, because I'm glad those events kind of led you to write this politics of persecution. And in the book, you kind of went into depth about the term Middle East, because I find that so important. I find language is so important. And we as theologians, you know, language is all that we have. So the specific words that we use to address issues are so important. And then you didn't like that term, but you ended up putting it in your subtitle. So yeah. can you explain to us this term and what led you to uh, include it in the subtitle? Right, actually the subtitle is really interesting because it talks about Middle Eastern Christians. Uh, and uh, so um, you are right, I don't like the term Middle East because it's middle of where and east of what. <laughs> I mean, you know, if you live in in uh, in Philadelphia or you know, in in the Midwest, uh, I mean, our region is neither middle nor west of you, right? Mm -hmm. uh, uh, nor east of you. So, so why this term? This term actually was coined in the nineteenth century mm -hmm. by the British Empire, mm -hmm. and the idea actually was. They wanted to distinguish this region from the Far East. Okay, so they called it the Middle East, 
which is like, it's east of Europe, but it is not as far as the Far East. So they call it the Middle East. But, but so it's, it's, it's an imperial uh, actually term. Uh, uh, and it was a term actually meant to control the region. Mm -hmm. uh, today we call it uh, West Asia uh, and North Africa, our region. You know, when I go to say to Korea or to China, mm -hmm. uh, I, I always like to make the point that Jesus was an agent yeah. because he was West Asian. Okay, because Palestine is West Asia. Uh, and, and, you know, people uh, don't get that, you know, but this is what it is. Well, I'm glad you brought it into the book and in your other works and you're talking about it because I think naming is power. And we have given um, the power of the empire to always name us and where you are. So I'm, I'm so glad that you're bringing it up because naming is so important. I think you kind of renaming it West Asia is such an important term. I think that is it opens up our mind and I think it gives agency to those who name for themselves. I hope you will continue to do that and go against empire and imperialism because that has been such a big problem uh, for people like you and I, um, you know, li living in the margins of society. I think we should be able to name ourselves. And I think, you know, Edward Said, when he wrote about Orientalism, you know, the West kind of orientalizing us and making us so inferior. I think that, you know, it, it, it speaks volumes. And I hope people in the West, in the Western hemisphere will read more books like from Edward Said and from you because we need to know what the problems have been caused by the Western world and the renaming and re-identifying different parts of the world is so crucial. So you brought in also Jesus and in your book, you know, Jesus was born in Bethlehem. So why, you know, he is this Asian. So why is it that the Western world, Western Christianity have made him so white? Can you explain for us? And you, you do mention it in the book too. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, uh, I think it's, um, you know, uh, it was actually uh, weaponizing the Bible. Uh, by uh, having Jesus as, as the white. Uh, actually, uh, that came to save the white in the first place. Uh, and then later the poor people that, you know, uh, the white wanted to control. Uh, and and even, the, uh, even the image of Jesus, uh, you know, as almost as the emperor. Mm -hmm. uh, I mean, this resemblance, uh, while actually uh, I wrote about it in another book, if when Palestinian wants to find one symbol that would tell our story as Palestinian best, they cannot find better than the cross. Uh, it is, it is you know, Jesus that was crushed on the cross by the empire. Um, 
this is where our people find actually their hope and the source of their inspiration. Uh, not as uh, not not the cross as uh, as as not Jesus as the victim, uh, but Jesus as the liberator uh, that stood up to to the empire and had to pay the price, but at the same time was able to transform uh, the the empire into something we call the kingdom of the kingdom or the reign of God. Wow. So the, you know, I find it very interesting that you point out that white Christianity have made him into this emperor. Even the artists have done that in paintings and sculptures and stained glass window. And we in the West, because we're so accustomed to seeing that we accept it, but marginalized people have been pointing out that Jesus is not white. You know, so how do we work towards ridding ourselves of this white Christianity and white Jesus? Can you help us in a way? Because he is this Asian uh, figure born in Bethlehem, Palestine, Palestine, and we made him into this white emperor. So how do we get rid of this? Right. I mean, Grace, let me tell you this. I mean, I, I was a pastor at Christmas Lutheran Church in Bethlehem, Palestine for 30 years. Uh, this church uh, was built by German missionaries. Uh, and it has beautiful stained glass window. But if you look at these stained glass windows, you think Jesus was Scandinavian, you know, with his blonde hair and blue eyes. I mean, and you ask yourself, I mean, why in the world uh, would, you know, uh, German, uh, you know, uh, uh, you know, uh, artist uh, put in Bethlehem, where where it all started. I mean, where the real story started. Uh, put something uh, like that, you know. Uh, and so for me, actually, uh, when I came back from Germany, uh, the first thing I started really doing was to develop Palestinian contextual theology. Uh, which I think is, uh, this is important because uh, in, in contextual theology, we try really to say who we are and what, uh, what, uh, what Jesus means for us in our context. But then I noticed that actually the real challenge is to develop contextual art. And this is why I ended up actually starting uh, a brand new university that focus on arts and culture. So we don't teach theology. I'm, theolo I'm theologian uh, like uh, by heart, but, but, but we, we chose actually art as the tool for social transformation because this is where the icons are made, uh, modern icons uh, for, for people. Uh, and this is where we can actually transform uh, you know, the symbols of a culture uh, that so often was uh, predominantly Western and white. Yeah, that's why I love following you on social media. I think everyone should follow you to see what your university is doing, because those images actually impact how we view and, you know, social media, all this cultural aspects. And I find it so interesting that you said 
the Scandinavian, you know, they came to Bethlehem where it all started and they are trying to convert. And in your book, you also say in Palestine, Christians are indigenous, you know, Christians are indigenous. And I think Western people need to hear that over and over again. Christians are indigenous. So why don't the West ever see this or understand it? And it's so interesting that you were pastoring and that church was built by the white Europeans and they made Jesus so white. So why are we having such a hard time in the West? And then also the West impacted different parts of the world, like Africa, South America, and Asia, East Mm -hmm. Asia. And they brought the white Jesus into all these different parts of the world. How do we unpack this? Your book deals with it. That's why it's so important that the West read your work and follow you and see the artwork that your university is doing. So how do, what do we do with this big problem? Yeah, I think, you know, uh, first of all, it's really important uh, to see that there is a problem. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I tell you, it's not only, you know, the, the I mean, the, uh, uh, this one problem. As Palestinians, we have another problem, yeah. which is uh, in theology, in art, in culture, in the dominant, uh, in the dominant uh, discourse, uh, you know, Palestinians were made uh, like, you know, uh, terrorist, troublemaker, savage, uh, and uh, the Israeli were made like, you know, uh, the, the the crown of creation almost, you know, mm-hmm. uh, and they they forgot actually that Israel is actually a empire by proxy. Mm-hmm. Uh, and what they do in Palestine is settler colonialism, uh, uh, something similar to what the whites did in South Africa or in Australia or in North America to, 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 to the native people, to the indigenous people. And so, so we also we have to fight on that front as well as, as Palestinians and as Christians. Uh, so to be aware of the bias uh, you know, at, uh, there was a time when, when, when we in the South were looking up to the North, thinking that, you know, salvation will come from there. I think we realize now that this is not the case, you know. Uh, so we need to realize the bias. I mean, now, you know, even when I listen to the news, say, of the Ukraine, the war in the Ukraine, you know, I mean, Irrespective, if I listen to US media, to German media, to Russian media, all of it is propaganda. It's uh, propaganda? Propaganda, you know. I mean, the real story is not told. There are no critical voices anymore that that really tell the story. So, so, so you see German media, there are making, uh, you know, the Ukrainian president almost as a saint. Uh, I was looking how they were demonizing, you know, other uh, uh, Arab leaders in the region. And you can see, you know, how, you know, it's black and white. Uh, And really the truth uh, is the victim uh, in in, in this whole thing. So, So we need critical minds 
to critique, you know, uh, this, uh, uh, you know, the, the uh, these uh, ideas that the empire keep producing, and they bombard us with it day and night. That we don't have time to think: is it really true or not? So, so, so critiquing is really important, and then we need to develop our own, uh, our own narrative. This is so important, you know. Uh, what is really our narrative as Korean? What is our narrative uh, as as Palestinians? What is our narrative, uh, you know, as as Asian, as Africans, uh, as African American? I mean, it is so important that that we. Uh, we give uh, a platform for these voices to be uh, amplified. I think this is what you are doing with your uh, podcast as well. No, thank you so much. So as you're talking about empire building, in your book, you also talk about the Ottoman Empire, which was the largest entity in the world in the 16th century. And, you know, you have a lot of good statistics in the book. And it was interesting. You said there were only 7% who are Christians under the empire, Ottoman Empire, but then it grew from seven to 23%. I found that astounding. So can you explain to us why that happened? And so how do these empires work? And explain a little bit to us today. Yeah, I mean, uh, I look in the book, uh, uh, really, the book is, is a book of church history, if you want. Mm -hmm. It talks about the history of Christians in our region, uh, North Africa, West Asia, in the last 200 years. Uh, and I start really with the Ottoman Empire. And the point I make there with the statistic is that uh, the, the number of Christians and the percentage of Christians grew under Ottoman Islamic rule more than under Christian rule. And I think nobody in the West really realized that. Uh, I mean, uh, uh, in the book, I have a chapter about, uh, uh, about uh, for example, uh, you know, the British Empire. Uh, if you look, uh, the British Empire uh, brought two uh, major uh, sins uh, into our world. Uh, first, uh, the sectarianism. I mean, uh, you know, they divided uh, India from Pakistan yes. along sectarian lines. They introduced the rigid apartheid system in South Africa. In the same year, 1948, everything happened along racial lines. They came to Palestine and they declared Palestine a Jewish uh, homeland. Mm -hmm. Though the Jews were only 5% of the population, the Christians were more than the Jews, and uh, Muslims were the majority, but they ignored the Muslims, they ignored the Christians, and they declared uh, Palestine uh, a Jewish homeland, again, along sectarian lines. Um, and they did not do that, actually, because they loved the Jews but they wanted, uh, they were afraid that the Russian uh, Jews uh, might invade uh, uh, England uh, because of the pogroms that were happening in Russia. And so they wanted to divert 
you know, uh, these Jewish uh, migrants, instead of coming to, uh, to England to tell them, no, no, you don't belong here to Europe, you belong to Palestine. And they created for us a problem that still we are paying the price of it until today. Uh, so, uh, uh, and uh, here I would like also to mention the role that theology, especially Christian Zionism, actually played in supporting uh, the empire, in this case, the British Empire. Or if you see, you know, how actually it was uh, the evangelical Christian or the Christian right in the States who is keep supporting actually uh, Israel today. And so you can see uh, how Christianity actually is, uh, is, is uh, damaging the local Christianity here in our in our in our region. Yeah, you know, you just shared a wealth of, of information and from this critical lens that the West is not used to and exposed to. So thank you so much. So your book is about persecution, and I find that very interesting. You know, you, you talked about the persecution of Christians in the Middle East, which has been an occurring theme since the middle to the 19th century. And the topic, you know, you mentioned earlier too, uh, there was a resurgence under the Trump presidency. I just find that so in interesting. So in Lebanon, 20,000 Christians were killed. Uh, British media said that Christians were victims, but Christians started the whole thing. So that also is very interesting. So please uh, explain to us you know, where we are getting these wrong ideas and, and sharing the wrong ideas. How, what are we supposed to do as Christians in the West and around the world? Because, you know, Madang is not just um, listened to by Americans, but around the world. What are we supposed to do about this persecution? And you talked about before the persecution about, you know, smuggling Bibles and so forth, but it's all different. So explain in detail what the persecution, how it happens, and what are we supposed to be doing? Yeah, as I said, uh, uh, the, the theme of persecution says more about the West than about us. Yeah. Uh, and uh, this theme became important uh, actually in the beginning of the 90s of the last century. So uh, 19, uh, 1991, you know, uh, the Christian leaders came together in the Lausanne movement. And they saw that the Soviet Union uh, was actually uh, not anymore the threat. It was, you know, uh, uh, this, uh, this uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, dissolving, right? Mm -hmm. uh, but, but that was like their main focus for, for decades, smuggling Bible into Russia, you know, and helping the persecuted church there. Now, suddenly, when the iron wall fall down, this wasn't anymore a theme. Mm -hmm. So in 1991, at the Lausanne second meeting, the leader, it was actually an Argentinian born Christian that said, now we have actually uh, to, to focus not anymore on Russia, but on what he called the resistant belt. This is the belt that starts in North Africa and goes all the way to China. 
But this is where actually 90% of the Muslims live. And so the enemy became not anymore Russia. Now, now again, the Russia as the enemy is coming back again. Yeah. But from 91 until now, it was really Islam. And, and, and this, this, uh, this Islamophobia actually uh, meant not only, uh, uh, you know, uh, it, it wasn't only against the Muslims, but it was meant as a tool for internal politics, you know, uh, for people to mobilize the base against, against one enemy. Uh, that was the really an important reason. But also it was used by Israel uh, because they were prorogating themselves as uh, they are the protector of Christians, which is not true. Mm -hmm. so, so all of these factors actually came together uh, to create this idea that Christians are persecuted by Muslims. And this is what, I, what I'm saying in the book is if we were to find one term that best tell the story of Arab Christianity is not persecution, but resilience. Mm. This is the key word in the book, it's resilience, which means the Christians here in the region with all the ups and downs of history by empires, you know, we had uh, the Ottoman Empire, we had the British Empire, we had the French Empire, if you want, and now we have the American Empire and the Russian, empire under Putin, you know. So five empires just in the last 200 years. And actually, uh, Christians uh, were uh, actually, none of those Christian empires really was interested in the Christians. Uh, they used the Christians for their own political ends when that suited them. When it didn't suit them, they sacrificed them on the altar of, uh, of their political interests. I give an example, uh, you know, the Armenian genocide. I mean, 1.5 million people, Armenian and Assyrians were killed, massacred uh, by the Turks uh, between, you know, uh, 1880 to, to 1918. And the Germans were actually allies of the of the Turks, and they knew exactly of the of the of this genocide. Mm -hmm. And what is what is striking is that the Emperor of Germany, William II, was also the head of the uh, church in Germany, and yet he ordered his generals not to interfere because that will actually, uh, it will, uh, it might uh, affect German interest in Turkey and German interests are more important than the 1.5 million Armenians and Assyrians. So imagine if the head of the church tells his generals, you know, close your eyes when you see 1.5 million. So this is what I'm saying, you know, that we are used and sacrificed on the altar of, of interest. So I don't believe that any, any empire really is interested in us, but they use us. That is, it's so heartbreaking to hear you as a 
uh, Christian theologian from that area, you know, in the book, you know, you, you talked about the empire and then you said how the British <coughs> and the French dismantled the Ottoman Empire and then they constructed Lebanon in 1920 and Lebanon became a republic in 1926 and then independent in 1943. From 1919, we hear the issue of minority it was an issue for the UN. It was a protected minorities. I just find this so interesting. And then how you tie that in with, uh, you know, protection, resilience, empire, and persecution. Like, why is everyone meddling in, like meddling with the issues in your region? Like, why, yeah. why are we so interested uh, I mean, you know, the reason was uh, uh, certainly oil, one. But uh, second, uh, because our region controlled uh, three of the major uh, water highways. Uh, uh, and this is important for, you know, for, for economy, uh, uh, for transport. Uh, and I think these are two major regions, actually, for the empires that they were interested always in our in our region, so so it's really the the it's it's the resources and the geopolitics that made them to be interested, not, not the people. So it's not the people, and definitely not the Christians. Uh, this is what I'm I'm trying to say. And yeah, they came up with the idea of minority majority. Yeah. So they wanted basically uh, to use minorities to interfere uh, in the politics of the region. Uh, you know, I mean, I mean, you have really to to. You don't know if you want to laugh or cry. You know, when Vice President Pence say, you know, we need to help the the persecuted Christians in Iraq. Uh, so uh, he uh, designated fifty million dollars to help the poor Christians. But you know what? In two thousand and three, when the U.S. invaded Iraq. One million Christians left Iraq because, you know, if you destroy the infrastructure, you know, if you dismantle an army, imagine in the state somebody will come and dismantle the U.S. army. And so you have chaos, I mean, right? Mm -hmm. And so who would like to live there? So, so they don't talk about, you know, that the U.S. politics led to you know, the, the, the displacement and migration of 1 million Christians from Iraq. And they want to help with $50 million, you know, the poor Christians that were left there, you know. I mean, they should not have, this, you know, destroyed the country in the first place. I mean, today when I think of Ukraine, I mean, you know, the poor people there, I mean, you know, I keep say, seeing in the, in the media how they try always, you know, to tell them, keep on, keep on, their country is destroyed. I mean, uh, four million Ukrainians are now refugees, you know, I mean, it, it, it's, it's such a sad story, you know, and, but who's benefiting? Not the Ukrainian people. It's, it's the empires, mm -hmm. both empires. Yeah. It's so sad. I, I'm so glad that you can explain the Ukrainian crisis right now. It just breaks my heart when empires come in. And in your book, you also uh, mentioned that, you know, until 1923, Jerusalem had only one municipality. 
but the British came and Jerusalem has four quarters and this is a British invention. I just, I, to me, because I've not visited that area and I'm hoping to go one day, you know, I've had several times when I could have gone actually uh, about five years ago, I was with the WCC working group and we had a meeting there and then they were detaining all of our members. So I was sitting at Newark airport and they told me to just go back home. So I missed an opportunity, but I just find this so interesting how these empires come in and they just, you know, disrupt, you know, life. So explain that municipality because I just find that so interesting. Yeah, I mean, uh, indeed, but but this is part of this, uh, what I said, the sectarian, sectarianism, sectarianization. Uh, so the British came and there was one municipality in Jerusalem. There were Christian Jews and Muslims, Arabs uh, and Jews, you know, running the city together. The British decided, no, we have to divide the city along sectarian lines. So they created in East Jerusalem an Arab municipality with Christians and Muslims, and in West Jerusalem, a Jewish municipality. You know, to see how, how absurd this is, 1947, we had one hospitals for lepers in Palestine, in Jerusalem. You know, we had lepers uh, that we hear about in the Bible. We had them until 1970 in Palestine. Uh, the last were eradicated, you know. Uh, and even there were Christian Jews and Muslim lepers together. They have something in common. Yes. The British came and said, it is not good for lepers to be together. So they divided the lepers along sectarian lines. So they sent the Jewish lepers to West Jerusalem and they sent the Arab lepers to East Jerusalem. The same th thing they did with, you see how sick, you know, because it's divide and rule, you know, you divide the people. And so they, they, they start, uh, you know, creating uh, different identities. Mm -hmm. And then they, the, the neighbors become enemies. Uh, and then you can control that. And I mean, you know, uh, if we look at Korea, mm -hmm. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> how the one people yeah. was divided, yeah. you know. Uh, who's benefiting from that? I mean, it's really <laughs> not the people no. of Korea. I mean, I was there in Korea 1990. Uh, we were crying when we saw how, how you know, the young people were, were dancing, uh, uh, hoping for, uh, you know, a unifying, uh, you know, uh, country uh, uh, that that families will will come together again and so on. Yeah. Unfortunately, it's you know it's 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 the empires that yeah. use mm -hmm. use us. Yeah, the empire uh, so, yeah. broke up Korea. So thank you for bringing that up. The evil of empire we must name, and we should try to dismantle the evil empire because Korea has been divided and we Koreans want to re reunite and it's becoming almost impossible. So we are the only divided country in the world. So thank you for bringing that up and thank you for your work. I would love to talk with you all day long because you are just carrying this wealth of information, statistics, and 
analysis, you know, critical lens. So thank you. Uh, just one last question. You did talk about resilience. And, and so I want to hear more about resilience because you say that you don't want to talk about persecution, but talk about resilience. You talk about diversity. I just find all these terms so important with that we become agents of change. How do we become um, agents of change? And actually, before you even get into that, I also want to thank you for writing um, the foreword for my book, Hope in Disarray, because in that forward, you also talk about how we become agents of change and, and hope is, you know, this kind of uh, foundation for Christians. So I just am so grateful for, you know, you writing the forward for Hope and Disarray. And I find a lot of hope in your book, uh, in your latest book. So say a bit about resilience rather than persecution and how we become agents of change and change so that we become a better society equality pluralism i just find these terms that you talk about over and over again in your book are so important for us wherever we live because you know we are living with marginality and losing our identity and people are saying oh we can't have pluralism etc cetera, etc cetera. so your book is dealing with all these issues so please say more about them. Yeah, you know, uh, I think if we look at the history of the Christians here in the region, uh, how they really were engaged in, in liberating their people from empires. Yeah. Ottoman Empire, British Empire, French Empire, uh, uh, you know, uh, all, all empires. So this is one. Secondly, if you see how uh, the Christians, though small in numbers, are actually uh, running, uh, I mean, like we did in Palestine a study just recently, and we found out that Christians, though they are less than 2% of the, of the population, uh, they run one third of the health services in the country. I mean, this is the story of resilience. Mm -hmm. uh, if you see, yeah, I mean, if you see how Christian thinkers were fighting the sectarian identities mm -hmm. and really uh, trying to bring civility into the discussion, that at the end of the day, you know, uh, Christians and Muslims, uh, and even Christians and Muslims and Jews, uh, you know, have lived together for so long, uh, and they can still live together in the future. Uh, and we have to, to fight this sectarian uh, identity, uh, identity that, that the empire is promoting. So Christians were engaged in that. So if you see what the Christians were actually always trying actually to bring something, uh, you know, uh, 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 constructive uh, to the table uh, and, and not to give up. You know, even when everything seems to be falling apart, uh, Christians were, were co continuing the journey uh, and saying, you know, no, we will not, uh, we will not uh, immigrate. Uh, we will be here because we are needed here, uh, because we have a role to do here and to play here. So, so th this is really a story of resilience that we need to celebrate. And you know, in this, in this special 
time where we have this populism uh, threatening uh, us everywhere, uh, it is really important to celebrate these voices uh, and these people that keep uh, resilience. Uh, uh, um, it's amazing. And so we need to, to celebrate uh, that. Oh, thank you so much. That's a great way to end the podcast. I am so grateful for all your work. I, you know, you are so busy as a writer, as the founder and president of the university, and you travel and speak so much. I don't know how you've written so many books. Give us a clue of what you're working on now before we say goodbye to everybody. What are you working on next? Um, actually, I have uh, two books. Uh, Coming out soon? One. Uh, but uh, but there is uh, one uh, uh, that I would like to mention maybe here. Yes, which sure. Is, uh, uh -huh. um, it will come uh, with Orbis uh, oh, wow. in the US. Uh -huh. uh, and it, it's uh, the working title is Decolonizing Palestine. Oh, that uh, sounds like a fabulous book. <laughs> uh, it's going to be it's going to be a really a very very interesting and challenging book for many and yeah. especially for theologians because uh, you know I, I try to critique uh, how the theology has been dealing with Palestine for for a long time. You know what we need to read that book today because you know we yeah we have it all wrong in the West. So I can't wait for your book to come out. I think that's so interesting. So anyway, before that comes out, everyone should read The Politics of Persecution, Middle Eastern Christians in an Age of Empire, published by Baylor University Press. Please read that book before the other one comes out, uh, Decolonizing Palestine by Orvis Books. And follow Dr. Mitri Rahab on social media and what his university does. I think your work is so important. I could have you, I can talk with you all day long, but I know you have to finish off these other books that you're writing and you'll be traveling more. Uh, safe journey and all that you do. Stay well and healthy. You know, we are still in the pandemic. So thank you so much for spending so much time with me on Madame Podcast. Your book is important. Your work is important. And I hope everyone goes out and buys not just this book, but all your other 40 books that you've <laughs> written. And I know you collaborate with Miguel de la Torre and with other scholars and theologians in the West and East. So maybe you and I can do a book uh, in the future too. So thank you so much for being a guest. It was such a pleasure and honor to talk with you. Thank you so much. Uh, Grace, thank you very much. Also, uh, uh, I was really glad to be here, uh, guest uh, on your podcast. Hope to see you on November uh, at AR. Okay, uh, we will see you. Are, yeah, where they are going to discuss my book, actually. There is a panel oh. uh, on, on my book there. And oh. hopefully next year in Bethlehem. Yes. Not my Bethlehem, but we will. I will see you in your Bethlehem, the real Bethlehem. The real Bethlehem. Yeah, the real Bethlehem. I just live in a fake one here in the U.S., but I will see you. And if I do go to AR, I've been going for the last so many years, last 21 years ongoing. 
I was debating whether to go or not. But if your book is there and if I go, I will be definitely there at your book panel. Thank you so much for all your work. It's such a pleasure to see you virtually because my listeners, you know, they listen on the podcast stream and also on YouTube and Facebook. It's such a pleasure to see you uh, on here. And I hope to see you in person either this November or next summer. So thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you, Grace. Please join over 3,000 people on Homebrewed Christianity's online class, Christianity in Process. This is an online pop-up learning community with Dr. John Cobb and Dr. Trip Fuller. Make sure you read their books, too. You can win a chance to get Cobb's complete works, which is valued at 1250 Please follow Homebrewed Christianity as Dr. Fuller has other amazing weekly podcasts. Join him as he celebrates 14 amazing years of podcasting and has become the most listened-to theological podcast in the world. Anna Luisa crafts high-quality jewelry pieces at very affordable prices. They are carbon-neutral from packaging to products. I really love this about Anna Luisa. A-N-A-L-U-I-S-A. Their designs are unique and will make you feel empowered, elegant, and at your finest. They have fair prices, with jewelry starting at $39, and new jewelry collections are released every Friday. Go to shop.analuisa.com forward slash madame, make mom's day, and treat her to new jewelry pieces with Anna Luisa's buy one, get one 40% off sale. One piece for her and one piece for you. Free shipping and returns in the U.S. I know you'll love them. The Rainbow Push Coalition is an international human and civil rights organization founded by Reverend Jesse Lewis Jackson Sr. Rainbow Push Coalition seeks to empower people through the effective use of grassroots advocacy, issue orientation, and connections between the greater community and the disenfranchised. Please join Rainbow Push and please donate. And please join the 7th Annual Push Tech which is happening on May 18 to 19, 2022. Please go to www.rainbowpush.org and please join today. Show your support and please order Invisible, available wherever books are sold. For sponsorship inquiries, please email madangpodcast.gmail.com.